Welcome to the Land Before Podcast, where we explore fossil histories and paleo mysteries. In our final episode of season one, we examine the fossil history of the Triceratops, a dinosaur with a special place in the hearts of Colorado baseball fans. Okay, what does the Triceratops have to do with baseball? It goes back to something a construction crew found while building the ballpark in Denver. It's a really fun story. Also today, we dig into the paleo mystery connected to a special type of rock found on Dinosaur Ridge, more than a mile above sea level, but known to be a resting place for ancient shark's teeth. We'll let you chew on that while we get into the herbivore known as three-horned face, Triceratops. Here's your host, Aaron LeCount. Triceratops have been found all across the Denver metro area of Colorado. But one special Triceratops fossil find from the heart of the city is celebrated annually throughout the warm seasons here. Maybe you've heard of Dinger the Dinosaur? If you're not familiar with this prehistoric celebrity, allow us to introduce you to the official mascot of Denver's Major League Baseball team, the Colorado Rockies. Named Dinger, like the term sometimes used when a player hits a home run. Fossils were uncovered during construction of the Rockies' home stadium, Coors Field. In fact, the fossil discoveries had the owners playing around with the idea of naming the venue Jurassic Park. Ultimately, they went with another unique idea, and Dinger the Dinosaur was born, or technically hatched. During his debut in April 1994, the Colorado Rockies rolled a giant egg onto the field and a purple triceratops popped out, making his first appearance to baseball fans everywhere. Dinger is purple in honor of Colorado's Rocky Mountains, which are famously described as Purple Mountain's majesty in the anthem America the Beautiful. His rainbow-colored scales are meant to represent colorful Colorado. Children and baseball fans everywhere recognize this lovable mascot. But what many fans do not know is that Dinger is based on a real dinosaur. A few of the fossils dug up during stadium construction were that of a ceratopsian, a horned dinosaur. Because Coors Field sits on ground geologically aligned with the late Cretaceous when Triceratops thrived, many scientists surmise the fossil remnants recovered from the construction site could be those of the iconic triple-horned herbivore. Those fossils that inspired the creation of Dinger are currently in good hands, preserved at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science about four miles from the ballpark. Our friend Matthew Mossbrucker with the Morrison Natural History Museum has been known to dig up a Triceratops or two. He goes on many exciting fossil expeditions to the Lance Formation of Wyoming. If anyone could shed some light on the question about Dinger's true fossil origins, it would be him. So we sent Michelle Howell, our guest services manager, over to our sister museum for another enlightening conversation straight out of the fossil record. Hey Matt, thanks for making time to talk about Dinger the Dinosaur. Are you a fan of baseball, or at least Dinger? Well, thanks for having me, Michelle. I'm a fan, yes, of Dinger, because... As a museum scientist, I have to be a fan of all things dinosaur. Um, but um, I have to admit, the Rockies are not my favorite baseball team. Well, now, what's your favorite baseball team? You ready? Yeah. Ball Metal Container. In 1987, this was the T-Ball team that I played for. We did really well. I got a trophy. Mm-hmm. Undefeated. <laughs> I had the strikeout record in T-Ball. Yeah, that was great. So as you know, uh, Dinger is some form of Triceratops, and we find multiple species of Triceratops here in North America. So what species of Triceratops do you think Dinger is? That's a good question because, first of all, how can we tell that Dinger is a Triceratops? 
when I look at Dinger's skull, it has three horns sticking off of the face, and that's what Triceratops means, right? Three horned face. Um, you see two horns over the eyes, they're kind of short, and one little horn over the nose. Behind those big eye horns, though, you have that dominant bony frill, right? Kind of that collar that protects the neck of Dinger. I would assume from a fly ball. I don't know. Um, sports are not my thing. But dinosaurs are, so those combinations of characters does narrow down the type of dinosaur that Dinger could be because there are there's other three-horned dinosaurs that have shields behind their heads. and Really, they're part of the heads. It's not a separate uh, bony element. But we do know that Triceratops lived in Colorado. So we know it's a local dinosaur. So I'm going to go ahead and think Dinger's a Triceratops. As far as what species of Triceratops is Dinger, that's an interesting question because there's two recognized species of Triceratops right now. Although going back into history, any minor variation in the skulls of these dinosaurs was considered a new species. Um, there was up to like 15 or 16 at one point, um, 100 years ago. Uh, the two dominant species that we look at today are easy to tell apart. One is called Triceratops hordus, and Triceratops hordus does have three horns, but the horn on the nose is tiny. It is very small, almost not there. And the other species is Triceratops porosus, which has a very big nose horn, um, almost half the size of the horns over the eyes in some cases. So, which species is it? You tell me, What does Dinger have a big nose horn or a tiny nose horn? Tiny. All right, so what is it? Triceratops horridus. You got, you got it. You win. <laughs> All right. You can have my job now. <laughs> nice. Uh, how do paleontologists tell different ceratopsians apart from each other? Well, when we dig up ceratopsians, we tend to find little brass labels attached to them in the rocks. So that tells us what they're called. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That never happens. It'd be really nice because it'd make my job easier. But when we look at the ornamentation, the horns, the frills, and the little hornlets on the frills sometimes, the presence or absence of the holes in the frills, that combination of characteristics helps us, helps us to understand speciation in these horned dinosaurs. And as it turns out, if you look closely at the rest of the skeleton too, you can tell the difference between these dinosaurs. In fact, if you have, say, a local Triceratops and a local Taurosaurus skeleton, they look kind of similar because they're both three-horned dinosaurs. But if you look behind the head, there are differences. Would it be fair to say the skull is a really good way to identify different Ceratopsians? Yeah, the skull definitely helps, for sure. It makes it easy. Uh, but the whole animals are different and unique in various ways. So we've established that Dinger is most likely Triceratops hordus. Uh, and the best way to distinguish the different uh, species um, would be something like the skulls. Although, as you mentioned, there are other differences as well. So how would a fan be able to spot Dinger if he was playing baseball with other Triceratops? Other than the jerseys, of course. I think he'd be the only dinosaur wearing a hat. 
Triceratops have been found around this area since the 1800s and were officially named in 1889. However, in 1887, O.C. Marsh received fossilized pair of horn cores attached to the frontals and concluded it was an extinct bison. We now know the specimen is that of Triceratops. Would Dinger's horns be similar to a bison's? Was that an understandable mistake? 100% understandable. And here's why. So not only did Marsh think that the Denver area was covered with late um, Cenozoic, Pliocene and Pleistocene um, sediment that would have preserved fossils of bison and mammoths. Um, but when you look at the horn cores that he had, and you look at the horn cores of a bison, there are some superficial similarities. Uh, the bone is very dense, um, but vascular at the same time with hollow spaces. Um, they're similar. And I, I certainly forgive Marsh for that error. I think uh, we have to give him the benefit of the doubt because guess how many people had seen a horned dinosaur skull in 1887 complete? No one. Nobody. At least wrote things down. So, yeah, nobody knew what this animal was. What would be the difference between Dinger's horns and a bison's horns? The differences between Dinger's horns or a triceratops horns and bison's horns are not terribly different because in both cases you have a core of bone and that core of bone on top of the horn cores uh, is covered with a network of blood vessels and nerves which feeds the corium which produces nail or horn right it's keratin the same stuff your hair is made out of and in that case both structures bison and triceratops, have a core of bone and then a fingernail-like growth on top of that, making them much larger in life than what you see. Oh. So the size of Dinger's horns suggests that it's a very young dinosaur. Um, Dinger has a lot of growing to do. How old do you think Dinger is? Uh, less than two years old. Uh, but emotionally, I don't know. <laughs> so uh, I've heard that you specialize in finding Triceratops teeth. From your experience, which do you think Dinger would prefer to eat at the stadium? Cracker Jacks, hot dogs, or nachos? Let's see here. What would Dinger like to eat? Well, when I dig in Wyoming, in the same beds that produced the first Triceratops skull, named specimen, Triceratops horridus, um... We do find a lot of teeth and other bits and pieces of Triceratops, too. Looking at their teeth, they are they're interesting because, unlike most dinosaur teeth, they are double-rooted, and they interlace with one another, interlock with one another, in such a way that they form a giant megatooth in each section of jaw. As they grind together, they are self-sharpening like a guillotine, and in combination with that scary beak, like a giant snapping turtle, and the front of the mouth, no teeth, but a self-sharpening beak, um, Dinger would be able to chew up absolutely anything at the stadium. We're not just talking about stale nachos, but we, I mean, the baseball bats themselves, they're toast. Just bite right through them. No problem. People's legs. No problem. I mean, it would be terrifying. <laughs> Don't feed Dinger. <laughs> Great advice. 
Not only do we find uh, Triceratops fossils in Denver, but T-Rex fossils as well. How would Dinger defend himself against a Tyrannosaurus Rex, um, who I would assume is a Dodgers fan? Well, I liked the Dodgers when I was a kid, so I can't throw any shade on, on that team. I like the logo. I didn't know anything about the team. I don't know. I was a special kid. Well, Triceratops is an interesting critter because when you look at how it is built, so if you just ignore the skull, let's look at the chest of the dinosaur. It's as wide side to side as it is deep head to tail. The thing is just, it's a thick, massive, mobile stomach moved around by four limbs that when you look at the muscle scars on the bones, they are enormous. We see big muscle scars, say, on rhino arms and legs. Nothing like a Triceratops. And unlike a rhino, Triceratops has really big hands and feet, which is great for negotiating wet swampy environments, uh, like Colorado used to be back at the end of the Cretaceous, some 66 million years ago. Uh, the tail is fairly short by most dinosaur standards, and um, is really an anchor point for muscles that move those hind legs. So Triceratops is this big, muscular, mobile stomach. Um, it can run, it can turn easily. Pretty scary thing. And then when you look at the head on top of that short neck, it doesn't move like your neck and my neck. We have seven vertebrae, right? And we move our heads left and right by well, flexing our necks. Triceratops has a natural neck brace, fused vertebrae in the neck to support the mass of that big skull, which for an adult Triceratops hortus, you're looking at uh, about two meters, six feet, right? Tall as a, as a human being. Um, thing of it is, is the head is perfectly balanced where it meets the neck on a ball and socket joint there at the brain case neck nexus. And so Triceratops can move its head like a big bobble-headed doll. Imagine a washing machine or refrigerator-sized head weaving back and forth with great ease, with a neck not moving. That's freaky. Mm -hmm. And I already mentioned the fact it has a big snapping turtle beak and guillotine teeth and horns. We're used to seeing Triceratops horns, just the bare bone. When you put the keratin over them, you can maybe extend the length by 25, 30%, maybe more, maybe double it. If it was a bison, oh yeah, look at a bison horn core, which is a tiny nub compared to the giant covering over it. If Triceratops is built like that. Those horns are enormous. Those are spears great for sparring with other Triceratops, which we know they did because we find battle damage on the skulls of Triceratops left behind puncture wounds left behind by the horns of other Triceratops. And that frill is solid bone. Um, it's a couple of inches thick, um, and it's very, very dense bone at that. Young Triceratops seems to have these little bones, OC derms, that grow in the skin that fuse to the edge of the frill. So you can imagine that big refrigerator-sized head weaving back and forth like a giant bobble-headed doll with those little tiny hornlets on the frills, like a big buzzsaw that can cut you in half and gore you and uh, run you over. Um, it is kind of a terrifying dinosaur. If I were a Tyrannosaurus Rex, 
I would stay away from those things. They are bad news. I would be more afraid of Triceratops, I think, than a T-Rex. Thanks for making Dinger horrifying. Is there any evidence of Triceratops or any dinosaurs being purple? No, but why not? <laughs> Fair. Well, um, thanks again for your time, Matt. I'm excited to bring this information to the next home game. All right. Um, you can come see me if you time travel to 1987 playing for Ball Metal Container in Arvada. I'll be the, the little scrawny kid with a red hat and a, and a very oversized blue t-shirt. I'm playing outfield, probably looking at birds and butterflies, not really paying attention to the game. <laughs> there. My name is Jim Watson, and I am a docent at the exhibit hall at Dinosaur Ridge. I often think about the creatures that lived in prehistoric times, as I am surrounded by many in the form of models and pictures where I volunteer. When I think about life in the Cretaceous period, I wonder about what a Triceratops might have sounded like, say when a male was becoming territorial around others and competing for females. I think they might have sounded a bit like currently living large rhinoceros with its similar huge bulk and lumbering weight. Thinking about how dinosaurs might have sounded brings them to life for me. Anyway, this is how I imagine a triceratops might have sounded. There are three types of rock on the planet, sedimentary, igneous, and metamorphic. Each forms differently, but sedimentary is the type that contains the most fossils. Dinosaur Ridge has a whole outcrop of sedimentary rock known as shale. Our lead tour guide Alice Olson met up with volunteer and retired geologist Kermit Shields to talk about why she thinks this to be one of the most special sites along the trail. Alright, so Kermit, we're standing at the first notable stop on the Dinosaur Ridge tour, which is one of my favorite spots. There is so much here to explore and share, and... Um, well, you've graciously agreed to share your geologic knowledge, your geology about this rock bed. Thanks. Well, of course, but but first, why, why don't you tell me a little bit about why you like this stop so much? Why do you think this is so important when you give tours up here on Dinosaur Ridge? It's where you first start to understand that despite being more than a mile high on the side of a hill in the middle of Colorado, along the front range of the Rocky Mountains in Morrison, where we are, we're looking at rock that was formed from deposits at the bottom of a giant seaway. And it was here before the Rocky Mountains formed. That's kind of amazing to think about the Rocky Mountains not even being here. So we could look at this rock, it's flat, it's platy, it's fine-grained. If you knock it together, you could kind of kind of sounds like pieces of pottery because it's made out of clay. There's no big sand grains or coarse pebbles in here. Why is this one called the Benton Shale? What is that? Well, different layers of rock are named after places they're first described. And this layer, this formation was named for Fort Benton, Montana, where it was first described. And uh, if we could go out in the east of Denver and drill a well, we'd go through thousands of feet of shale. And this Benton Shale is one of the first ones that was deposited. So it's kind of neat to think about all those rocks being deposited, all that sediment being deposited over tens of millions of years. Wow. It's, it's hard to even imagine that. I say 
these words all day, right? When I give tours to guests, tens of millions of years, you know, 92 million years old, but it's hard to comprehend. How long was this, this inland seaway covering this area? Colorado was partly or completely covered the water for probably close to 40 million years. And not only was the landscape different, but the, the climate and the environment was very different then as well, right? The whole time that the dinosaurs lived, the whole world was warmer than it is today. You know, uh, se- semi-tropical plants were found north of the Arctic Circle. Dinosaur fossils were found north of the Arctic Circle. So Colorado, 70 or 80 million years ago, would have a climate kind of like what you might see today in Florida or Costa Rica. We, we obviously, back in the Cretaceous, had no human activity, no industry influencing the climate, no, no traffic. It was entirely natural processes. Well, yeah, but still the climate changed, and there are a lot of reasons for that. You know, there, the, the, the orbit of the, the Earth around the sun changes a little bit, the wobble of the Earth changes, but also as the continents move around, as sometimes we're near a coastline. Sometimes Colorado's in the middle of a, a supercontinent there. So that affects, that affects the climate all the time. So, so lots of things are affecting the climate and the environment. And, and we know that by looking at these different formations that we see right around uh, Dinosaur Ridge here. This layer of rock, people have found fish scales, shark's teeth, ammonites, clamshells, and all kinds of things. So that's pretty neat to think about those kind of animals living right here in Colorado. Yeah, let's talk more about those animals. So as we know today, Colorado is known for moose and elk and deer and bear, bighorn sheep, mountain lions, things like that, as well as the smaller things, prairie dogs, rattlesnakes. Way back when, it was a lot of different animals living here in this inland seaway and cruising around back then. One of the fan favorites is probably the Mosasaurus. So yes, so giant aquatic reptiles lived here in this ancient seaway, like sharp-toothed carnivorous Mosasaurs and Ichthyosaurs and Plesiosaurs, and of course those sharks we mentioned here. So those animals, we can tell they lived here because of the fossils we find. We find those beautiful ammonites and clams and crabs. All these animals were here uh, for tens of millions of years. And in addition to that, there are billions of little planktonic animals and plants, little floating things, almost microscopic, that would be dying and sinking to the bottom of the ocean all the time. So the whole kind of chain of life is represented in these fossils we can see right here in, in this layer of rock. These animals that lived alongside dinosaurs in the Western Interior Seaway were not themselves dinosaurs. That's a common misconception. Mosasaurs, plesiosaurs, ichthyosaurs are all classified as aquatic reptiles. If you look at the bone structure of dinosaurs versus those of these marine reptiles, they're different. And that's that's the way scientists differentiate these animals. So the things that fly, the pterosaurs, and the things that swim, these aquatic reptiles, lived at the same time as dinosaurs, but they're not dinosaurs. Sharks that used to live here in the ancient seaway are still around. But the Mosasaurus isn't. They took vastly different pathways, didn't they? And that's interesting because we all talk about the extinction event at the end of the age of the dinosaurs when a a huge asteroid smashed into the earth 
and things changed really rapidly. That was a really bad day in Earth history. So that time, about 75% of all species on Earth went extinct. So the environment changes so rapidly and so drastically that the animals didn't have a chance to adapt, and a lot of them didn't have a chance to migrate, so the species died off. It's important to note that uh, nowadays, in our time, shale has served as an important resource. It has an important role in a couple of industries, and um, oil and gas being one of them. This is source rock because of the organic matter in the rock. Um, Can you talk about what happens to create those natural resources from the shale? Billions of little planktonic animals and plants that are dying in the seaway and raining down to the bottom, this organic ooze at the bottom of this seaway here. And this ooze, when it's covered with more layers of sediment, it gets pre- the pressure builds up, the temperature builds up, and it kind of cooks and eventually turns into crude oil. And if it cooks even more, it turns into natural gas, the kind of stuff you use maybe in your furnace or on your, your gas stove at home. So those products are things that uh, uh, help you know, create that energy. So this layer of rock we're t- looking at right now that, that we're sitting on, dips down underneath the the town of Denver and out there east of Denver it's about two miles deep so the pressure and the temperatures are higher there. So geologists come out here to Dinosaur Ridge to look at these rocks because they can't see them out when they're two miles deep on the ground there. So so this sediments from this layer of rock are pressed are compressed and turn into crude oil and then that crude oil is squeezed into layers of sandstone And that's when you go up to Weld County, up in northeast Colorado, you see the oil pump jacks, you see the gas wells. Mm, They're producing from that layer of rock. And if I remember correctly, uh, the clay in the shale is important, too, for other industries. Is that right? Well, yeah, they've been collecting clay around here since the 1800s, and that's a huge industry in the Golden Morrison area. You know, the clay here, there are two different layers of clay around here and they have two different kinds of characteristics. Some of the younger clay is really good for making bricks. So they was mined out and made into bricks and and for things like the governor's mansion and East High School right here in Denver. So that's pretty cool. And other kinds of clay are really good for ceramics. And uh, that's part of the thing that helped uh, the Coors Tech uh, uh, industry where they, they used the clay from right around here and used it to make scientific instruments and pottery and things like that. And clay mining is still going on right now. It's still a huge industry, isn't it? Yeah, we can look right across C-470 there and see some trucks and bulldozers where they're mining out one layer of clay. A lot of people are now probably wondering, so if they, they, they come up to the shale on the side of Dinosaur Ridge and they find a marine fossil or shark tooth or evidence of ancient marine life, might just find the ultimate souvenir, but these fossils are protected here. Oh yeah, Dinosaur Ridge is recognized as a national natural landmark, and that's a, recognized it as a special spot for geologic and uh, natural uh, features here. So it's, it's protected. So we're not allowed to collect anything along, along the ridge here. So being a national natural landmark, uh, my understanding is that 
that was designated by the National Park Service in 1973 here at Dinosaur Ridge. And that just means that we have an outstanding example of the nation's natural heritage. I, I tell people on my tours that our mission here at Dinosaur Ridge is twofold. To protect our incredible fossils, the footprints, the bone fossils, everything in the shale, and to educate the public about how special this place is. And we know that our guests appreciate the unique treasures that we have here, and they can be blown away by the remains of a prehistoric time right in front of them, right here in the rock. And that's why in 1989, a group of people got together and formed this organization called the Friends of Dinosaur Ridge, like you say, to preserve these fossils and educate people about them. Thank you so much for coming out and sharing your knowledge with us and talking a little more in depth about this ancient seaway that used to be right under our feet here in Colorado. Well, Alice, glad to come out here. I always like to go talk about the rocks out here, and I hope to see all the listeners come out here and visit. So that'd be great. Hey, everybody. This is Drew Goodman, television voice for the Colorado Rockies, and it's time for your pop quiz. Think back to the first story of the podcast on the Rockies' official mascot, Dinger, a dinosaur I am rather familiar with. Here's the first question. We know Dinger is a young triceratops inspired by fossils found at Coors Field when the ballpark was under construction. But what species of triceratops is he? There are two types, Triceratops horridus and Triceratops prorsus. And we have a hint for you. One has a small nose horn, the other a large nose horn. We'll get to the answer to that question in a moment. Here's your second question. Dinger is a friendly purple dinosaur that kids love to take pictures with, but the real Triceratops might not be so cuddly. In this podcast, we learned that the plant eater had a giant snapping turtle-like beak, teeth like a guillotine, and a neck that moved like a bobblehead doll. When fully grown, the head of a Triceratops was about the size of what common household appliance? A microwave oven, a ceiling fan, or a refrigerator. Question number three. Back in 1887, the famous American paleontologist O.C. Marsh mistakenly thought a pair of Triceratops horns found in Colorado were fossils of what mammal? A mammoth, a bison, or an antelope? All right, time for your answers. Question number one. Dinger has a small nose horn and is therefore considered to be a Triceratops horridus. The Prorsus had a much larger horn on its nose. Question number two. The common household appliance that is about the same size as a full-grown Triceratops head would be the refrigerator. That's right. And it moved like a bobblehead with three horns and a spiky frill, which is why they were more than a match for the Tyrannosaurus Rex back in the day. Question number three, the first ever Triceratops horns that O.C. Marsh studied in 1887 were mistakenly thought to be the horns of a ancient bison. It wasn't until later when more fossils were found that paleontologists began to piece together the animal that Dinger the dinosaur is modeled after. Now you know. Well, we thank you for listening to the Land Before podcast, Fossil Histories and Paleo Mysteries. And hey, if you're a Rockies fan or a sports fan in general, I invite you to check out my podcast, The Drew Goodman Podcast. It comes out every week 
all year round. We talk baseball naturally, we talk about the Rockies, and we also talk about all of the other teams in our region. So uh, check it out when you get a moment. And of course, no other team in Major League Baseball has a dinosaur for a mascot, in case you were wondering. Go Rockies. Thanks for joining. And that wraps it up for season one. Thanks so much for listening. Season two is coming soon. It's been fun for us to start this project and learn how to podcast. We appreciate you being along for the ride. Our supervising producer is Jeff LaMontagne. Kristen Kidd is executive producer. The host of the Land Before podcast is Aaron LeCount. Michelle Howell and Alice Olson are regular contributors. Our theme music was composed by Hans Dale Sue. And I'm Katie Bradley, sound editor and engineer. You can find information about Dinosaur Ridge on our website, dinoridge.org. Our mission is education and to ensure the preservation of the fossils of the Morrison Golden Fossil Area's National Natural Landmark. We're open every day, all year. Come see us in beautiful Morrison, Colorado. 